Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Well, again, good to see you guys today. If you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We are going to jump around here at the beginning to a number of different passages, but we're at least going to start there in the gospel of Mark. Uh, Like I said earlier, if you're new here, welcome. Uh, For you to be aware of, uh, we are in a series that we do the beginning of each new year called Formation. And essentially, the idea behind this series is that each year we pick one habit or practice from the life of Jesus, one of the habits or practices that we see in the scriptures, and and we practice them together. We, We aim to put them into practice in our everyday life in an effort to let them make us more and more like Jesus in return. So this particular year, we've chosen the practice, the habit of rest. We want to ask the question, how does rest, regularly participating in rest, help us become more and more like Jesus? And really, for a lot of this particular year, we've been doing our best to sort of break down some of the biggest barriers that you and I have when it comes to rest. Because as we've mentioned several times already in the series, the irony is that true rest actually takes work. To to participate in the type of rest that Jesus prescribes for our lives, we have to be willing to restructure our lives in such a way that actually is conducive to that rest. And today really is no different. Today I want us to talk a little bit about our schedules. Specifically, I want us to talk about the tendency that a lot of us have towards overcommitment and the tendency that others of us have towards what we might call undercommitment. As I talk with people about their relationship with Jesus and specifically their approach and their, their desire to participate in rest, these are two patterns, two problems that I see coming up frequently as obstacles to rest, overcommitment and undercommitment. In other words, some of us don't consistently rest well in our lives because resting requires managing our time in such a way that is conducive to rest. And sometimes that's the problem, that's the core of the problem. Sometimes we stretch ourselves too thin by saying yes to things far too often which leaves us with very little time, very little margin in our life for rest. Other times, I think we say no to almost everything because we don't wanna commit, we don't wanna tie ourselves down to a particular commitment, and that leaves us nothing but leisure time. And while leisure and rest might sound very similar, they are not always the same. Leisure sometimes refers to what the book of Proverbs in the Bible calls sloth. Sloth is the state of existence where we have an aversion, almost like an allergic reality, an allergic reaction, excuse me, to anything that requires time or effort or energy to us. We're opposed to those things because we don't like how commitment feels. 
And rest and sloth are certainly not the same thing at all. So the goal for us as followers of Jesus really is that we would learn to say yes often enough that we aren't marked by sloth and that we would learn to say no often enough that we have margin in our lives to rest and recharge on a regular basis. So today, I want us to see if we can at least get on the trajectory towards that balance of how we use our time in our life. But as we do often, I want us to start off by looking at the model of the life of Jesus. I want us to observe how Jesus approached his opportunities and interruptions, how Jesus approached his time, and see what we can gather from how to set up our lives in the same way he did. So to kick things off, I want us to look briefly at a handful of different moments in the life of Jesus from the gospel. So we're going to start with Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, where we're going to pick up the story, just so you understand what's going on, Jesus has just kicked off his public ministry on earth, and it's already going really, really well. People, likely by the hundreds, are mesmerized by his teachings. They're, They're following Jesus from town to town. He's healing people left and right everywhere he goes, which makes more people in turn want to follow him. And all of that is what leads to the situation, the scenario that this passage brings up. So take a look with me, Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 35. It says, And rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus, the disciples say, you will be pleased to know that you are a very big deal right now out there. You're you're trending on Twitter. Fallon would love to book you for the Tonight Show. Your approvals are off the charts. Jesus, you are doing great. In fact, there is a crowd outside wanting you to speak to them right now. They want you to make an appearance for them. So let's get you out there and give the people what they want. But take a look at how Jesus responds. Verse 38. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Okay, in case you missed it, that's how Jesus says no. His response is no. No, that's not what we're doing today. Let's go on to the next place. Let's do ministry there now. I've done all that needs to be done in this particular City. Jesus says no to this demand, this interruption, this request of his time. And not only that, but he kind of says no to the request that everyone else is convinced he should say yes to, right? I mean, that's the disciples' point. Jesus, everybody wants to hear from you right now. You need to go give them what they want. And Jesus says, no, I don't think so. I don't think that's what we're doing today. Jesus says no. Let's look at another passage. Flip over with me a handful of pages to the right to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. So in this passage, a lot of you, if you grew up in church, you may be familiar with this one. I know this was a favorite Sunday school lesson at the church I grew up at. So some parents are bringing their kids to Jesus so that they can meet Jesus and be around him. And as these parents do this, the the disciples start to rebuke the parents. They, They are insisting that a busy guy like Jesus with lots of things to do, lots of demands on his time, that Jesus does not have time to to spend this moment with 
these children. Just for you to know, children in this day and age were not really revered as cute and amazing as they are today. They were often seen as a nuisance, which is also what some people think about kids today, but not everybody, right? So kids were just kind of seen as an annoyance. And so as these kids sort of congregate around Jesus, the disciples start to rebuke the parents and say, hey, Jesus doesn't have time for this. Please, please get these kids away from Jesus. He has more important things to do. But as the disciples have that response, here's what Jesus does. Here's how he responds. Verse 14 of Mark chapter 10. But when Jesus saw it, when he saw the disciples shooing the kids and the parents away, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus says yes to this interruption. As everyone else insists that he should say no, that he should move on to the next thing, that he should get on with more important business, in that moment, Jesus chooses instead to say yes to this demand of his time. Next passage, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Luke, chapter 12. This time, in this passage, we're a little bit later on in Jesus' ministry, but he's still traveling town to town, he's still healing people, he's still giving teachings, he's still telling people about the coming kingdom of God, and in this moment, as he does all of that, he gets yet another person needing his attention. Yet another person that wants something from him has a demand to make of Jesus' time. So take a look with me, Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, him being Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So this man's request is to have Jesus arbitrate or mediate in some sort of financial dispute between him and his brother over an inheritance, most likely. So Jesus' response to this man, to this demand of his time, verse 14, but he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? In other words, Jesus says no. No, I, I will not be stopping what I am doing to help you settle this matter between you and your brother. That, that's not what I'm here to do. That's not my purpose on earth. And even though this may be important to you in the moment, I will not be helping with this particular request. Jesus says no to this request of his time. Let's do one last story, and then we'll come up for air. So this one is back in the book of Matthew, chapter 9. Matthew, chapter 9. In this particular story, Jesus has just been approached by a ruler, so some sort of official of his day, in order for Jesus to come and basically resurrect this man's deceased daughter, to bring her back from the dead. So Jesus is on a mission to go and help this guy. Not, not only is the family in desperation, but it's the request of a ruler, someone of particular importance in this society, in, in a local government or a synagogue perhaps. So from a worldly perspective, this is an important person making an important request of Jesus. Jesus agrees. He is on his way to go see the man's daughter and see what he can do. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 19. 
It says, and Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, while he was on his way, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of Jesus's garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. This woman comes up to Jesus and she's hoping to not be seen. She's hoping she can just touch the edge of his garment and be healed. And instead, look what happens. Verse 22, Jesus turned and seeing her. Now stop right there for a second. Just real quickly, can you imagine the impatience if you are the ruler leading Jesus back to heal your daughter? Can you imagine how in a hurry he was? How bothered he was that Jesus would stop in such a time-sensitive manner and, and address this woman who doesn't even want to be seen by Jesus. Can you imagine if you were leading Jesus back to your house to heal your daughter, how frustrated you would be at Jesus pausing in this moment? I personally would be thinking, okay, Jesus, I know you love people. We've got bigger fish to fry here, Right? We've got places to be. You're not understanding the urgency of my situation, Jesus. But that's not Jesus' mentality at all. He stops. He welcomes the interruption from this woman in the crowd, and he turns and faces her. And continuing in verse 22, he says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. That's Jesus for yes. Yes, I will heal you. Yes, I do have places to be. I do have matters that I need to tend to, but this interaction right here matters to me too. And I'm not too important or too busy or too hurried to be interrupted by this. Yes, I will indeed heal you, and he does. So once again, sometimes Jesus says yes, even when he's in the middle of something, even when he's in the middle of something urgent and important. And even when something that he's doing is to some degree time sensitive. So we'll just stop our tour through the gospels right there for today. Here's all I want you to notice from those four stories. We have all these different moments from Jesus's life. And just to be clear, I could have showed you dozens more like those. I mean, we could have worked our way through the gospels and seen dozens of more interactions like those. But we have these moments from Jesus's life where Jesus is interrupted or is presented with an opportunity or is in demand. Somebody makes a demand of his time or is asked for something. And in some scenarios, he says yes. In others, he says no. He doesn't always say yes, he doesn't always say no. He seems to take each individual situation as its own unique scenario and makes a call one way or another each time. And I'll add to that, there at least doesn't appear to be any obvious parameters for the types of things that Jesus says yes or no to. Like, it wasn't like Jesus said no to some of these things because they were wrong or sinful for him to do. For instance, teaching to crowds of people when they wanted to hear him speak was something that Jesus did a lot. It was something that was very core, very central to Jesus's ministry. And yet in Mark 1, he says no to it. Going urgently to heal someone who is in need is something that Jesus does constantly in his day-to-day -day life. And yet at times he allows himself to be interrupted along the way. I bring all of this up in part because I think there are two caricatures that people often have about Jesus. 
One is that Jesus always says yes to everything, right? That he did whatever anyone asked him to do in the moment. He was just so relationally wired and relationally driven that anytime anyone needed him in any way, he would just drop everything he was doing and say yes to the interruption. And another caricature of Jesus is that he was task-oriented, that he was driven, resolute, almost robotic, that he never had any time for disruptions or interruptions along the way, that his, his itinerary each day was packed, his schedule was locked in from eternity past, and he never diverged from that plan in the slightest. And to me, what, what makes those two caricatures interesting is that those are also the two ends of the spectrum for most of us. I think we tend to read our own tendencies into Jesus' life just a little bit. Because when it comes to how most of us spend our time, we tend to gravitate towards one of those postures or the other. Some of us are people-driven. We're relational. We go with the flow. We fly by the seat of our pants, right? And our, our schedule, really, the things on our schedule, they're more like suggestions, you know? Like more just ideas, possibilities of how we could use our time on any given day. And they could be changed at any point for anything whenever we feel like there's something we'd rather do than what we had planned. Others of us are more type A, guilty, and task-driven. We have our calendar worked out down to the minute and any meeting that goes a little bit long or any person who interrupts us in the middle of it is an inconvenience to us and we tend to let them know when that happens. And what's even funnier to me is that in God's great sense of humor, usually he causes these two types of people to marry each other. But what we see in the passage is that neither of those descriptions really fit Jesus, do they? His approach to time doesn't really fall cleanly or neatly in either of those categories. On one hand, he evidently had no problem saying yes to interruptions to his life. And at the same time, he did not feel like he always had to say yes to everything. He evidently felt complete and total freedom to say, no, sorry, that, that's just not what I'm here to do. Or, or no thanks, not now. Appreciate you asking, but no. Jesus knew how to say yes, and he knew how to say no. Here is how I think Jesus accomplished that balance in his life. I think Jesus was completely secure in who the Father made him to be. He was completely secure in who the Father made him to be. I say that partly because he's Jesus, but also because of passages like this one from John 17. We'll put this on the screen for you. For context, this is Jesus speaking to God the Father. Here's what he says. He says, I have brought you glory on earth, God, by finishing the work that you gave me to do. By finishing the work that you gave me to do. Not the work that you gave everyone to do. Not all the work that I could have possibly gotten done in my life. Not every possibility and every opportunity that came across my plate. But the work that you, Father, gave me to do. That's what brought God the Father glory because of the security that Jesus had in who the Father made him to be, in the things that the Father gave him to do. Jesus could say yes and Jesus could say no. He could say, wow, yeah, that sounds like an incredible opportunity. I would love to be a part of that, absolutely. 
And he could say, no thanks, actually, I'm good. That sounds like a great opportunity, but that's just not what I'm here to do. So can I just ask, honestly, how many of us would love to feel that freedom in regards to how we use our time? Am I the only one? I mean, wouldn't it be amazing to be so secure in who the Father has made us to be and the work that he's given us to do that we could just say yes and say no and not be racked with guilt over always wondering if we said the right thing at the right time? That's what we want. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus, and I believe it's possible. We're going to circle back around to that at the end. But I think I could use some help with both of those things because here's what I know. If I could develop that same amount of clarity and discernment in how I use my time, that would be a huge step, I think, towards me experiencing the freedom to rest on a more regular basis. If I could get on board with that, I think I would feel the freedom to rest more consistently. If I had some help discerning what to do and what not to do, what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not, I would gain back so much time and freedom to just sit and be with the Father on a more regular basis. And that's what we all want. So I think that's probably true for all of us. If we could learn the art of saying yes and no, I think it would create all sorts of healthy margin in our lives for rest and renewing our minds on the things that matter. So this morning, I want to see if I can at least get all of us at least pointed in that direction a little. Practically speaking, how can we healthfully discern when to say yes and when to say no to things in our life? Now, real quickly, I'm assuming for the rest of this teaching that the things we're considering saying yes or no to are morally neutral things, okay? So obviously the first place we should always go when deciding whether to say yes or no to something is scripture, right? We should ask the question, does scripture clearly say that I should or shouldn't do the thing that I'm considering? So if the question on the other hand is something like, should I sleep with my boyfriend or should I murder someone? Those are already sorted out, okay? They don't need to go through any further filters. Those are very clear in the scriptures. But what I want to talk about is the other stuff. The stuff that the Bible does not say clearly, yes, you should do this, or no, you shouldn't do this. When it comes to something that is morally neutral, something that's just an issue of wisdom, how do we decide what to say yes to, what to say no to? So I've got four filters, four practical filters to help you discern when to say yes and when to say no from the scriptures. So if you like taking notes, you may want to jot these down. The first filter is prayer, prayer. Likely no surprises on that one, but place number one that you should always go when deciding whether to say yes or whether to say no to something is right to the Father for wisdom. Take a look with me at Philippians 1 verses nine and 10 up on the screen. This is Paul speaking and he says, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, that you may be able to discern what is best. If you like underlining things, maybe underline that phrase, to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So Paul, in this passage, speaking from a second-person perspective, makes it clear that prayer is where we all gain the ability to discern what is best. 
Prayer is where we gain wisdom for all areas of our life and certainly in deciding what to say yes to and what to say no to. To make those decisions well, sometimes we need a word directly from God himself on what is best for us to do and not do. That's where we start, by asking him for wisdom. Now, practically speaking, to do this well, you may need to develop a habit of not always saying yes or no in the moment. You may need to learn to start saying things like, hey, thanks so much for letting me know about that opportunity. Thanks for asking me to be a part of that. Do you mind if I take just a little bit of time to pray through it and discern if that's something that I'm supposed to do? But then, and this is really important, actually pray through it. Are you following me? So don't just use this as a Jesus-y way to ghost people, okay? That's not the intention here. Now, sometimes I have been guilty of that. I'm sure you guys are way better than I am, but sometimes I have been known to do that. So say that you want to pray through it and then actually pray through it. And then, watch this, you initiate getting back to them with your answer. Don't make them chase you down. If you said, hey, thanks for letting me know about that, I'm gonna pray about it, they should not have to chase you down to get an answer. You initiate with them and say, hey, I took time to pray through it, and yes, I think I'm gonna do that. Or actually, no, right now, I don't think that's something I can do well. Thanks for asking. I'd love to hear about things in the future, but I can't right now. So actually follow through in praying about it and asking God for discernment and wisdom in what is best. Now, as we said before, there are things that you don't need to do this with. So don't Jesus juke people when it's actually a very easy answer. So if you're at work and you're about to leave for the day and you're walking down to your car and somebody that you work with says, hey, I, I need to carry this stuff down to my car and I, don't, I just don't have enough arms to carry all of it, could you help me? Don't say, hey, I'd really love to pray about whether or not I can do that. <laughs> I, just, I really wanna spend some time and see if Jesus is calling me to such a thing or not. That's not what I'm talking about. There are some things that are an easy yes or an easy no. But when it comes to things that are gonna make a constant demand on our time or effort, ongoing things, regular commitments in our life that are gonna require a good bit of thought and prayer and attentionality and effort, when it comes to those things, actually take a moment and start with prayer. Ask the Father, God, what would you have me do here? I'm listening. That's the first one, prayer. First filter is prayer. Second, and this one will also come as no surprise if you've been around City Church for very long at all. Second, the filter that you should run it through is community. Community. Take a look with me at Proverbs eleven fourteen. It says, where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Now, just for you to know, passages like the one that I just read are a dime a dozen in the book of Proverbs. Over and over and over again, the book of Proverbs is going to make the point that when it comes to decision making, when it comes to saying yes and no to certain things, when it comes to really any type of planning at all, here's what you need for success. You need other people speaking into the decision. You need other people speaking into what you're deciding to do or not do. That's how you can guarantee wisdom in what you do. When you and I try to make these types of big picture decisions all by ourselves with no wisdom from anybody else, we are going to miss things at times. We just are. 
In the words of Proverbs, sooner or later, we are going to fall. We're going to not think things through. We're going to be blind to certain factors in the decision that we're making. But when we make those decisions in the context of community, with the help of an abundance of counselors, we have a much better shot at getting it right. More spirit-filled people equals more collective wisdom. So as we're taking that time to pray through whether to say yes or say no to a particular commitment or decision or demand of our time, include in that process presenting it to other followers of Jesus and having them pray through it as well. Having them speak into it as well. Whatever that decision is, whether it's a new job or a new business opportunity or a new romantic relationship or whatever it is, If it involves your time or your effort, develop a habit of presenting it before other followers of Jesus and give them the freedom to tell you what they honestly think. Don't do the thing where you only talk to people who you know are going to sign off on what you want to do. Sometimes we're guilty of that, right? We go, well, I I talked to my mom about it and she said it's a great idea (laughs) and she said I, I would be great at it. So I think I'm going to go ahead and do it. No, actually talk to people who you know are going to ask you hard questions about it. Talk to people who you know are willing to challenge you if they disagree with you. That's what spirit-filled community looks like. So second filter, talk to community. Third, next filter to run things through before you decide to say yes or say no, consider your season. Consider your season Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse one says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. I'm gonna say something that is really tough for a lot of us to hear, especially those of us that are wired to love new opportunities. It's gonna be very difficult for us to hear, but it needs to be said. There are things that are great to do that might even be great for you to do, and right now is just not the season for them. It's just not the season for them to work. There may be things that eventually you can and will say yes to in the future, but things that you absolutely should not say yes to right now. For example, if you are currently overdrawing your bank account, now may not be the best time for that cross-country trip with a group of friends, right? Because that costs money. You need to eat, and if you don't have money, you can't eat, And I don't suggest dumpster diving. I know that's a thing. I know people do that, but I wouldn't suggest that. So right now is not the season for it. Uh, Another one. If things are already pretty rocky in your marriage as it stands, now may not be the best time to take that awesome promotion at work where you're going to be working 70 hours a week. It's probably just not the time. I'm not saying there's never a time for that. I'm just saying right now is probably not that time. If your life is currently chaotic and your priorities are all out of sorts when it comes to time with Jesus and discipling other people and doing things that Jesus asked us to do in our lives, if that's the situation you're currently in, the season you're currently in, now may not be the best time to start trying to have a kid or a second kid or a third kid. It may be worth asking the question, how can we get our priorities closer to where they need to be and then let's make that call. 
So there might be things that are great to do that at some point you absolutely should do, and yet right now is just not the season to do them. Now, at the same time, you may be in a season right now where you can say yes to a lot of things that otherwise you would have to say no to. So maybe you just took the slightly more demanding, higher paying job because it was a good season for you to do that. So right now, you may not have a lot of free time, but you do have a lot of disposable income. So that might mean right now is a great time to to go over and beyond in your generosity to other people in your life, to needs that you see in our city and in our world. Maybe you even have the ability to be generous to the same person on an ongoing basis because they have an ongoing need. That's a fantastic opportunity, and you're in a great season to be able to do it. Uh, maybe your job right now has very flexible hours because of, I don't know, a global pandemic or something. Maybe right now you just don't have a ton of responsibilities on your plate at work. You have way more time than you need to get the stuff done that you're supposed to get done. So maybe that means that right now you actually have a ton of time to start intentionally discipling and pouring into other people several days a week in a way that otherwise you wouldn't be able to. You just wouldn't have the margin. Maybe you're a college student and you're only taking nine credit hours right now and you have a ton of free time to serve people or love people in tangible ways in our church family and right now is the great season to do that. So a big part of saying yes and saying no has to do with discerning the season that you're in, discerning what that allows you to do and doesn't allow you to do well, So you consider the season. That's filter number three. Lastly, number four, final one, you should consider your calling. Consider your calling. Now, I feel like I should start this one off with a confession. Uh, I generally hate it when Christians use the word calling. It feels good to get that out in the open today. I generally do not like it when Christians use the word calling. I know that's very unchristian of me, but I just don't like it. Some of it is what I've mentioned to you guys up here before, that sometimes I think Christians might be using the word calling to simply justify whatever it is that they want to do in the moment so that nobody can challenge them on whatever it is. But that said, at the same time, I do think there is a place for considering our calling in the things that we say yes and no to on a regular basis. (coughs) Excuse me, it's not COVID. I feel like I have to say that every time I cough. So here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean by calling. There are things that God, through the Spirit, has equipped you to do and given you an opportunity to do. I'm gonna go ahead and take a sip of water real quick. That's much better. Um, There are things that God, through the Spirit, has equipped you to do and given you the opportunity to do, and then there are things that he has not really equipped you to do. I'll give you an example for me. I, in general, am not great at one-on-one pastoral counseling. All the staff members at our church are giggling right now because they know how true this is. I'm not great at one-on-one pastoral counseling. My inclination, whenever someone comes to me with a problem in their life, 
is to go, okay, well, there's the problem. You should do this and this and this, and then you'll be fixed, which is not always the most helpful posture to take in that particular scenario. My brain defaults to problem-solving mode, which is not always a bad thing, but generally when a person comes to you for pastoral counseling, they, they don't want you to fix them like they're a project. They first need someone to listen. Gentlemen in the room who are married right now, I am giving you gold. You should write this down. Sometimes when people come to you with a problem they are experiencing, they do not first want you to fix them. They first want someone to listen and empathize with them. And then maybe once that has been done well and thoroughly, then to start working through some sort of solution to the problem. But that often requires just a little bit more than just rattling off solutions in the moment. Now, some of me being bad at one-on-one -on -one counseling is sinful tendencies in me that I can grow and repent of, right? So some of it is just me being impatient or insensitive or having a lack of empathy or whatever it might be. Some of them are things that I can work on, that I need to work on. But at the same time, some of it is just how I'm wired. Even if I were to repent of all of those things thoroughly in my life, it still may not make sense for me to fill up large portions of my day with one-on-one -on -one pastoral counseling. I could spend three hours a day every single day on one-on-one -on -one counseling and still only be moderately helpful at it. Even if I deal with all the stuff I need to deal with, while at the same time, somebody like Jeff or Marcus, two of our other pastors who are wired that way, that they could meet with three people in those same three hours and be immensely helpful to all three of them. So it may just not be my calling to spend large amounts of my time doing something that I actually am not gifted or called to do. The calling on our lives may be different than other people's calling. So here's my point with all of that. Some of us right now are spending a lot of time on things that are not our calling. Maybe it's something we enjoy doing, Maybe it's something that we're really passionate about and we wish was our calling, but it's just not what God has called us to do, at least not right now. And hear me say, that's okay. It's okay for something to not be your calling. This is one of the many reasons why being a part of a body of believers like the church is so incredibly helpful. For example, take a look with me at Romans 12, verses three through five. We'll put this on the screen as well. It says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. He goes on to list out several different functions or measures of grace and faith that God gives to people in different ways. He talks about the difference between the ways that we are called or our functions within the body of Christ. But his point is that each one should do what they are called to do and do their best not to spend large amounts of time doing things that they're not called to do. And actually over in 1 Corinthians, there's a parallel passage that uses a lot of the same language. It gives us an additional insight that I think is even more helpful. 
It says that we should not waste our time comparing and contrasting our calling to other people's calling. We shouldn't look at other people and go, man, I wish I had that gifting. I wish I had that skill set because it's way better than mine. Instead, we should do what we're called to do and let others do what they're called to do and celebrate other people doing what they're called to do. That brings God glory just as much as us doing it. And so we don't have to waste our time comparing and contrasting our calling to other people's calling. We can instead do what we're called to do. So the question then becomes, how do we know what we're called to do? Well, I'll do this very quickly because this past summer during a series that we did all about work, the series was just called Work, you can find it on our website, we did a week on calling and we said that our calling is often the intersection of our passions, our abilities, and the opportunities or needs around us. That's usually a good way to find our calling. So there are some things that we are passionate about, but still are not our calling. There might be other things that we have the ability to do, but are not our calling. There may be other things that I see a need for on a regular basis, still not necessarily my calling. There are so many things that we have the potential to say yes or no to. And some of us have such a hard time saying no to things in our life because we treat every passion, ability, and need like it's a calling on our life. And it may not be. It may be that we need to ask the question, God, what are you calling me to do? And who are you calling to do something else? And how do I come alongside them in that as well? Now, one last clarification on this one before we close out. My point is not that we should never do anything outside of our calling. You don't get to tell your roommate that you can't help them move because lifting heavy things is not your calling, okay? You you don't get to tell your wife that you can't help her with a project around the house because it's not within your gift set or your calling from God, okay? Calling is not meant to be used as a cop-out to not love or serve people when you have the opportunity. But again, when it comes to morally neutral things, opportunities presented to you that you can choose to take or not take, I think it's wise not to spend large amounts of ongoing time on things that God has not called you to do when that's possible. Does that make sense? Everybody clear on that? Okay, so there we have our four filters to run things through when we are considering what to say yes or what to say no to. Prayer, community, season, and calling. It's my belief that running things through those filters should help us tremendously in discerning what to say yes to and what to say no to. It's not a catch-all, it's not a perfect system, I know that, but together they make up some sources of wisdom if we are willing to pursue them in that way. So practically speaking, this week in the practice guide that we put out on our website, there is a practice called a calendar audit. Essentially, it walks you through just examining the way that you spend your schedule and spend your time on a regular basis to see whether your calendar matches your proclaimed priorities in your life. I think it's an immensely helpful thing for us to do just because that passage we read earlier that Eric read from Ephesians 5 talks about making the best use of our time. 
That's an important part of following Jesus. So the practice this week helps you do that. I'm not gonna go through it in great detail like I have been doing in this series. There's a lot of detail in that PDF. I'll just let you guys roll with that. But that's the practical way that we are responding to today's teaching on how we use our time, how we say yes, how we say no. But real quickly, as we close, I just want to circle back around to where we started off this morning. Remember that we said the reason Jesus was able to say yes and say no was because he walked in a security about the work the Father gave him to do. That's how he did it. That's what made it all possible for him. He was secure in who the Father made him to be and what the Father called him to do, which meant he did not have to look for security or identity in dozens of things that he could have said yes or could have said no to. And if I were to venture a guess this morning, it would be that many of us in the room find ourselves saying yes and saying no to many of the wrong things because we don't feel like we have that sort of security in who we are. And so in light of that, I just need you to hear me and the scriptures say this morning that that type of security, the type of security that Jesus walked in is available to you through the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Which means practically, right now, if you are in Jesus, you are not in need of security. You do not have a lack of validation in your life. You are not lacking when it comes to your significance or your value. You do not need to search those things out by saying yes to every possible opportunity that comes your way. When it comes to all of that, you are already set. The cross and the empty tomb of Jesus saw to it that you have everything you need for life and godliness in this moment if you are in Jesus. So this week, when you are faced with that opportunity to say yes or to say no, and you think to yourself, okay, but if I say no to that, I won't be you can just stop right there. If you say no, you will still be full and complete and righteous and holy in the eyes of God. That's what you'll be. This week, when you think to yourself, okay, but if I say yes to that, then I might miss out on this later, you can stop right there too. If you miss out on a later opportunity because you said yes to something now, you will still be full and complete and righteous in the eyes of God in that moment. You have what you need. You are now free in Jesus to say yes and to say no with the wisdom of God available to you. Let's pray together. Um, Father, I know this one is a... Um, very practical teaching in a lot of ways, um, but also in a lot of ways a very difficult one to, to put into practice. God, it's so easy to, to be drawn to um, commitment and overcommitment by all the things that we think we should be doing. 
the, uh, the implicit or explicit guilt that is so often on our shoulders as we navigate our day-to-day life of being a certain kind of person or being a certain kind of friend or being a certain kind of Christian or being a certain type of husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever it is. There's often so much on our shoulders that just says, oh, I have to do this. I have to say yes to this. And so God, my prayer for each and every one of us this morning is um, that you would lift that by the power of the Spirit, that you would um, take off of our shoulders any of the guilt that other people have put on us, that we have put on ourselves. God, you give us the freedom to rest. You give us the freedom to rest in who you made us to be, the work that you gave us to do. So God, would you, would you set us free from so much? Would you set us free from guilt, from comparison, from envy, where we look at other people and we wish we were like them? God, would you set us free from... Um, that all-present fear of missing out, right? That we're gonna miss an incredible opportunity, that we're gonna not be able to do something that would be so cool, so fun, so awesome to do. God, your love cast out all sorts of fear in us, and I think that's one of them. So God, would you set us free? Would you help us to remember who we are in you, who you made us to be, what you gave us to do? And would you help us to to learn how to say yes and how to say no at the appropriate moments? We're not gonna get it right all of the time. But God, would you give us the ability to listen for your voice in the midst of that through all sorts of different ways. God, in our own souls, through, through the conversations with other people, through all sorts of different things, would you help give us the clarity to know when to say yes, when to say no. And God, would you set us free from guilt and regret that comes when we feel like we didn't say the right thing. God, we know you're capable of all of this. You're capable of creating this in us, of making us this sort of people. And God, so we pray you would do that beginning this morning. And God, that you would make us people of rest, people who can rest. We ask this in your name. Amen.